So this morning, we are continuing in our, our study of Daniel, uh, and we are in Daniel chapter 7, okay? So we're in Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 7 kind of marks a shift in the book of Daniel. The first six chapters are those stories that we've been covering that are, are so easy, honestly, um, to, to just read, understand, apply to your life. Um, they're, they're so neat and clean um, in that it's these stories that basically are written as like uh, the court recordings of what happened between these Jewish exiles, Daniel and his friends, and their interaction with uh, the leaders of these conquering uh, kingdoms that have taken over the Israelites. Uh, well, in Daniel 7, the book shifts, and we now go into looking at different visions and things that Daniel has had. Um, and so, uh, Daniel 7 is a vision that Daniel is given of the future. Now, when we approach Scripture um, and understanding and applying it, an important thing is to under, understand what kind of literature we're looking at. Um, I think that's one of the things that, that women's uh, study is going to go through, the amen study. Um, but, but here, what we're looking at, um, a lot of times people would, say, would use the word prophecy for this. Um, it's not necessarily the best term um, for it. Uh, it's, it's more of a revelation, um, kind of like uh, what we see in the book of Revelation. Um, it's um, what in, in theological terms is called apocalyptic. Now, when I say that word, where does our mind go, right? Like, apocalyptic now means, uh, like, the apocalypse, you know, like, might be a zombie apocalypse, and all the, it's just all the bad stuff that happens, right? Um, but traditionally, what that word meant, apoc apocalyptic literature, what that meant was just the revealing of the future, um, just the showing of the future. And we see that in Scripture when God, who is sovereign in control over all of history, past, present, and future, um, he kind of peels back the curtain and he gives someone a glimpse into what's about to happen. That's what we have in the book of Revelation uh, with John. And that's what we have here in the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. Is God is peeling back um, the, the curtains, so to speak, letting Daniel see into the future. He's letting him see, hey, here's what's going to happen. Um, and that can be a very uh, daunting thing. It can be a very scary thing. A lot of times we will refer to this as prophecy, which isn't necessarily the best term. It is, he is a prophet. This is prophetic. Um, but it's not necessarily the best term because really uh, a prophecy in the truest sense was just when God gave a prophet a word to say, and then that prophet took that word and gave it to the people. Right, um, And so here we have something a little different. Daniel is given this vision of what's to come, this vision of the future. And quite frankly, it freaks him out. Um, and it probably should freak us out a little bit too. Um, so many times I know uh, when we come to this kind of scripture, uh, there's different approaches. Um, there are those who want to say, yeah, I don't understand that, uh, and I don't want to worry about it, so I'm going to leave it completely alone. There's others who are like, hmm, that's neat. And then there's others just like, 
I want to study this as much as I can for all of my life, right? Like this, this is what I, I live and breathe, um, which is good to live and breathe scripture. But uh, I want, just want to encourage us as we, we come to this passage, as we come to what, what we're going to see here, to learn from Daniel's example of what he says his response was to having this vision, okay? This wasn't something that he was like, woohoo, yay, I'm going to argue with everybody about this, right? There wasn't anything like that. No, this was something that, that he saw what happened. He's like, this is terrifying. This is kind of freaking me out. Um, so now that we have said all of that, let's jump into our scripture for today. Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Okay, so here we see uh, the timing in the, in the narrative of when this happens. So Belshazzar was the guy back in Daniel chapter 5 uh, who saw the handwriting on the wall. Okay, and so this, Daniel gets this vision in the first year of his reign. Um, so that was probably around uh, 550 um, B.C., um, and so if you don't know how the ADBC thing works, that means like 550 years before Jesus, okay? Um, so that's, that's when Daniel gets this vision. And in fact, part of what he's, he's given this vision of and how much of it has been seen to kind of come true and how you can correlate things with history with things that he sees here leads some to say, well, there's no way that this was written in 550 BC. It had to be written much later because these things, like too many of these things came to pass. Like too many of these things happened. And to which my response is the only reason you would have that approach and that stance is if you don't believe that God is in control and that God knows the future and he has the future in his hand and he can show it to people. And so I do believe that God is in control. I do believe that he has the future in his hand. And I do believe that he can show it to people. Um, and so I have no reason to doubt that Daniel had this vision uh, in, at that time. And that he wrote it down and recorded it. And we get to praise God who 550 years earlier showed all these things that were going to happen. And we've seen some of them happen and some of them not happen. And so let's look at what it is that Daniel saw. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and, its, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, 
there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, if you were laying in bed and you had a vision that you knew was obviously from the Lord and it was this, what is your response? Yeah, it's kind of kind of freaky. There's the four winds of heaven blowing, which other scriptures tell, paint the picture of the, uh, an angel in charge over each of those, and they're turning the sea, and these beasts are coming out of the sea, and they're stomping and devouring and killing things, and destroying and replacing each other, and horns popping up out of nowhere, and like like what, right? Like, I promise I didn't do drugs last night. Like, what, what is going on? And our temptation is to want to take this vision and take these four beasts and map them out. We want to map it out. We want to give it a timeline. And we want to take it and set it right against history and say, look, look, here's how it fits. Here's how it fits perfectly. And so many commentators do that, and there's great arguments to be made for these four beasts representing uh, Babylon and then Assyria uh, and then um, the Greeks and then the Romans. Like, those arguments can all be made, and it all fits nicely, and they can say, like, hey, here's where the four wings represent, and here's the ten horns, and here's all of this. And my only thing about that is, When Jesus showed up the first time, the people that knew all of this Old Testament prophecies and what was supposed to happen the best were the people that missed Jesus the most. No one knew the Old Testament better than than the religious leaders of that day, right? The Pharisees knew the Old Testament inside and out. They knew it so well that they added more to it so that they didn't break any of it. And yet they missed Jesus. And so as we look at these kind of prophecies and as we look at things for the future, I don't want to miss Jesus because I'm locked into my theological standpoint of how I think all of this is supposed to work out based on the way that I interpret these things. And so... So yeah, let's, let's have some grace as we approach that kind of thing. And let's let scripture speak for itself. Because at the end of this chapter, Daniel's given, here's the important part that you need to know. All right? So let's not spend too much time arguing over how many wings a beast has and who that is. Um, but let's look at what is it that scripture is telling us here and what do we need to learn from it. Um, and so let's, let's go on. So you got these beasts, you got this craziness going on, and then all of a sudden you have this, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. 
The court sat in judgment and the books were open. <coughs> and so we see here all of a sudden, like, yeah, there's all this craziness. But then there's the Ancient of Days. And he's seated on his throne. And his throne is on fire. So many times in the Old Testament we see this, this imagery of God, the sovereign, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And he's associated with fire. Think, think about when Moses had his, his moment with God speaking to him. How did God appear? In a burning bush that didn't burn up. So many of the other prophets through the Old Testament have visions of God, and there's always fire associated with the Father, with, the, the, with God on the throne. And here Daniel says that the Ancient of Days, what does that mean? The one who is eternal, the one who has always existed, the one who has been here from before anything else was here. The Ancient of Days, he comes in, he sits on his throne. There's all this craziness going on with these different beasts fighting each other. But when the Ancient of Days shows up, he just has to sit down. That's all he has to do. And from his throne, his throne is on fire. The wheels are on fire. There's literally a stream of fire coming out from him. Verse 11, I look then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So this little horn that popped up, it's, it's saying all these words and sounding good. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. See, don't worry too much about these beasts because in the end, they're destroyed and they're burned with fire. The fire that most likely by the reading of this passage is coming from the Ancient of Days. And they're destroyed. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives prolonged for a season and a time. And then it goes on. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 550 years before Jesus shows up on earth, God reveals this to Daniel, that this is going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. The most quoted verse from Daniel in the New Testament is Daniel chapter 7, verses, verse 13. Why is it the most quoted verse? What does it say there? There came one like a son of man. Who did Jesus call himself when he showed up? The son of man. This is Jesus. It's got Jesus all over it. And, and here in the middle of the Old Testament, here in the middle of, of exile, here in the middle of a moment of judgment on the Israelites, Daniel is given this vision of Jesus and what is to come with Jesus. And it goes on. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Like I said, let's not approach these things too lightly. 
I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. (coughs) But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. Exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth and that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kingdoms shall arise, and, the, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. And then Daniel concludes with this. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So before we get to unpacking all of this, let's just, let's just rehash here Daniel's impression and his response to this. He's freaked out. He's, he's greatly concerned about it. And it's alarmed him. And so before we jump into this scripture and take it too lightly and just, you know, try to make our our little applications out of it and everything like, let's take it for what it is. This is is serious and this is something that should invoke awe in us. We should be thankful. You know, so many times we want to know, like, God, what does the future hold? Like, what's coming and that kind of thing. When God does peel back that curtain and we do get a glimpse into it, it's scary. And so we should be thankful that God knows it, that he's got it taken care of, but that he doesn't show it all to us because we couldn't handle it. And so, yeah. So let's jump into what we see in this passage. Um, okay, so what people want to do is they want to roadmap it, right? They want to know, like, what's going to happen when, and when's that going to happen, and when are we going to get there, what's the timeline, 
systems, okay? I'll roadmap it for you today, okay? Here's, here's my roadmap. Number one, we have four points. Number one, evil kingdoms will arise and rule the earth and be horrible to the people of God. That's the first part of the roadmap. That's what's going to happen. That's what's happening right now. We see this. This isn't hard to imagine. We, we can see this readily. As Christians, we should expect this. We have been warned throughout scripture that, hey, everything's not going to be easy. It's not going to be uh, just a cakewalk to follow Christ. There will be opposition. We have an enemy who is against us. We should expect these things. Okay? So that's point number one. Point number two, here's the good news. We don't have to worry about it because Christ is given all authority. Here, here back in, in verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So that's Christ. That's Jesus' kingdom. Now, in our, in our timelining, we can, we can talk about and we can wrestle with when did this happen? Or when will this happen? When does Jesus come in the clouds and present it before the Father? And is, is, is deemed to be worthy and he's given dominion and glory and a kingdom. When does that happen? Some would say, well, that, that happens when Jesus comes back. When that comes back, when he brings the kingdom in and he brings judgment, maybe it's at that point. Others would say that, that maybe it's, it's already happened at this point in history. Maybe that when Jesus died on that cross, he was a perfect sinless sacrifice. He died on a cross, paying the punishment for sin, was buried because he was fully dead, rose again three days later, defeating sin and death, and then what did he do? He ascended into heaven. He went up into the clouds before the Father. At the moment that, he was, that that was happening, Matthew records, in Matthew 28, he records this. Jesus says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? Sounds like what Daniel just had a vision of 550 years earlier. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I've, I've got the authority. All authority has been given to him. He's in control. He's seated on his, on his throne at the right hand of the Father. He's seated on his throne at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. And he's reigning and ruling from there, developing his kingdom, which he said is not of this world. When Pilate asked him, was he a king? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And his kingdom extends beyond geopolitical borders. His kingdom is so far beyond anything else this world can imagine. I mean, our queen had a really good run, right? She made it a long time. His kingdom lasts forever. 
His kingdom never ends. And he is seated on that throne today. And so Daniel is given this vision here of that, saying that, hey, here's, here's what is going to happen. But also, what, part of even what Daniel is given is that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. What was the charge that Jesus gave in the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are in, you know, ma mapping it out, timeline, where are we? We're in that period of time where all the nations are coming under him. Where representatives will be in his kingdom from every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every language. He does amazing things. And he saves people all the time from all different places in the world. But he always does it through his gospel. Through the good news of what he did. And he does it through his people, taking that gospel to people. You might have heard like in the Muslim world today how people will have visions They'll have visions of Jesus, but you know what the visions always tell them? Where to go find a Christian that they can hear the gospel from. He doesn't just lay it out for them in a vision. No, he points them to where to go. He'll say, go knock on this door, and they go knock on that door, and a Christian's there, and a Christian's able to share the gospel with them. This is the way that Jesus has always worked. We don't know why, but it is. And this is the charge that he's given us as his people to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that's where we are today. We're in this period in Daniel 7 where we're waiting to see all of the kingdoms, all of the different peoples come under, under Jesus, where every tribe, every nation, every tongue will bring glory and praise to his name. And so that's where we are right now, but we're also waiting for him to return because when he returns, our third thing that we see here is that Christ returns and conquers all evil kingdoms and they are judged. He comes and he conquers them. He wins. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul writes about what this day is going to look like when Jesus comes back. And uh, in 2 Thessalonians, uh, he, he talks about... Um, the evil one or the lawless one is what he calls him in Second Thessalonians. I think that directly corresponds to the 11th horn uh, here in Daniel 7. And when Jesus comes and he defeats whoever that is, in Thessalonians, Paul says all it takes is his breath. He just defeats him with his breath. Think about all the battles and the wars and all of the, the instruments of war that we have. Think about one who is sovereign and in control and seated on a throne and all it takes for him to win a battle is his breath. Alright? We don't need any tic-tac jokes here. Like, but Jesus got some strong breath. Okay? And then... After he talks about that and he talks about how they're going to be judged, he comes to this in 2 Thessalonians. He says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved 
through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So what's Paul saying to the Thessalonians there? He's saying, yeah, all this is going to happen. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be, he's going to win the battle, everything that's going to happen. And here's the great news. Here's what we get to give thanks for. You have been saved. Why have you been saved? You have been saved because you believed in the truth. The truth of the gospel that we shared to you. I just shared the gospel with you. The fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That the truth of that gospel, Paul had shared with them. They believed in that and their lives had been changed and they were being sanctified by the Spirit. That sanctification there, what that means is just the process of becoming more like Jesus. And they're on that process. And he's like, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for that in your life. And I want to ask you today, do you have that same hope? Do you have that same reason for thanks? Have you believed in the gospel? Have you believed in the truth? And have you given your life to him and said, yes, I am turning myself over to you to be shaped and molded into who you want me to be? Because the thing is, what's coming, what's in the future is the judgment. The Ancient of Days, the one that we should be pretty freaked out by. He's got fire coming out of everywhere and he's going to punish people with fire for their evil, for their sin. All of us are guilty of evil and sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That day is coming. That day is coming where he, he will do that when Jesus returns, when the Son of Man comes back. But when that happens, there's another thing that's going to happen. Verse 27 told us this. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And so what we see here is that the saints of God will inherit his eternal kingdom. Now, this is huge in the Old Testament, the wording that's used here in the vision that Daniel's given. Because what would you think in an Old Testament mindset, a Jewish mindset, an Israelite mindset, who would they think immediately, who would they go to as the people of God? They would go to Israel. They would go to the Jews. They would go to the Abrahamic covenant. They would go to those people who were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they would say, these are God's people. Uh, God made promises to us. And, and yet here in Daniel, as Daniel, we know at this time in his life, is praying for God to restore Israel, to bring them back, to bring them out of exile, bring them out of bondage. He's given this vision of the future. And the people that he sees, he doesn't classify as Israel. He doesn't classify as the sons of Abraham. No, he sees and he says, they're the saints of God. Now this is Old Testament. This is 550 years before Jesus. This is 550 years before the New Testament's ever written. And God is peeling back that curtain and he's saying, hey, here are the saints of God. And you know what? They're from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And they all get to inherit his kingdom. That is huge. That is awesome. 
And so the saints of God will inherit his eternal kingdom. And that's something that we get to look forward to. Because God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises and he, he, he says, he's, he's telling us here, here's what's going to happen. And so you know what we can bank on? Here's what's going to happen. And so with that, we get to look forward to that day if we have believed in Christ. If we're one of his children. If we've given our life to him and said, yes, I am yours. I believe in the gospel. Come in with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Make me a new creation. Make me into who you want me to be. Because those are the people who are going to inherit this eternal kingdom. Yeah, it's going to be tough for a while. In fact, Daniel, Daniel even said, And it looked like the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. It's going to be bleak for a while. But then the Son of Man's going to come back. And he's going to win. And he's going to, with all of his authority, all of his power, all of his dominion, everything's going to come under him. And we get to be a part of his kingdom with him. And not just be a part of his kingdom, but inherit his kingdom. We get to, to be there with him. I'm going to close today with a passage from the New Testament where Paul explains this further. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16, it says this. The Spirit himself bears, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I want to just lift up to you anyone here or joining us online who has not made that most important step in their life of believing in you, believing in the truth, believing in what Christ did for us. I pray that this day they'll give their heart to you and they will say, yes, I know this is true. I know that all of history, past, present, and future is all pointing to this moment. And I know that I need you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I ask that by the power of your Spirit you save them that you give them a new hope and a new future and you point them to what is to come. Lord, I pray for all of us that you'll be shaping us and molding us for this day, the day that's to come. I pray also that we're faithful in the job that we've been given, the task that we've been given of taking this good news of the gospel to all peoples of the earth. And Lord, we look forward to that day where every tribe and every tongue and every nation will fall in worship before you, will fall before your throne and give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you are due. So Lord, now we want to lift up to you just a simple song of our praise for you. Lord, let this song come from our hearts and be a pleasant aroma before your throne. I pray all of this in Christ's name.